Discover new mind and body hacks to thrive as a human today. The Institute for Aliveness is here to teach you all the things you never learned in school. From talking poop, sex, childhood trauma, emotional intelligence, psychedelics, and of course, fasting and food. This is a podcast that changes lives. Join your host, Dr. Andrea Page, as she travels seven continents to find the most captivating, impactful humans for you. Hello, hello, everyone. We are back for a podcast with a very interesting woman named Adapia, who was connected by a mutual friend, and she she stewards women and wealth, but not from this whole esoteric money is energy kind of women's pyramids, you know, that kind of stuff I would never engage with, but she's a hedge fund investor and she works in private equity. So uh, we, we sat down to have a very frank and epic conversation on transforming your relationship with money. I hope that you enjoy it. Make sure to reach out and send us feedback. Lots of love. You'll dive right into conversation with us when Adapia asks me what Tifa is. And perhaps if you haven't heard what Tifa is from this very factual granular level, start there. And then we'll dive into a conversation on money that I'm sure will be hugely helpful to you. And the invitation is really to reflect on your own becoming and how your perception and relationship with money evolved. Okay. You'll see nothing really changes with me. I'm just like casual both ways. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, I can answer your question about how it works with the Institute. Like it's um, essentially the short answer to what the Institute is. is yeah. that It's a double blind study that I'm doing and seeing if I can create 10 years of self-growth, uh, awakening, consciousness, however you want to call it within 18 months. Um, wow. And so this is the third year of the Institute. We have now um, more than 70 students representing more than 40 countries. And um, the final exam requirement is embodied non-duality. And so kind of in my other work, uh, I work in metricization of both health and consciousness. So looking at from an embodied sense, what does it mean to be awake? Um, Mm. And there's, several facets to that but um in the institute i mean it's it's a full-on experience we're getting uh we're under review right now for accreditation to become a master's of science in applied epigenetics um and so it's it's really looking at how lifestyle design from obviously the external epigenetics to the stories we tell ourselves and our beliefs um Mm -hmm. at a very neurophysiological way um i'm quite non-esoteric even though i taught yoga teacher trainings for the better part of a decade um Mm -hmm. that sense of grounding everything in in physiology and uh the human experience is what we're all about so um that's tifa and the yeah the women's circle that you popped into is just something that they kind of do on their own every full moon which is really okay. Cool. I'm so glad when things happen in the Institute that don't involve me. Mm-hmm. Very happy. And so, um, yeah, so, and, and I only keep one zoom room in the Institute because, uh, it was an intentional choice at the beginning to try to mimic, uh, the sense of an actual shared space. So if there was a building that was Tifa, you know, and there was a meeting before mm-hmm. you, you'd brush shoulders on your way in with right. someone coming out, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so I love that. And I love that you, you know, you got to go in and see it. <laughs> that. Even though they're in closed sacred circle, they had an mm-hmm. Anapia join them. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I was just coming off of my um, every Monday morning. I do like a like a 10, 15 minute tune in with the women in my women of wealth group where it's basically just like a quick, like a quick meditation. Um, and initially it was supposed to be a time for us to maybe just like check in and, um, and kind of call in some intentions for the week and then share those intentions. And then it just morphed into nobody wanted to talk after the few minutes of the of the tuning in and and so it just turned into like a group meditation on Monday mornings at my 8 a.m. Um so I'm I'm and I'm very familiar with circle. I've held so many circles and so I I, I knew what I walked into. <laughs> and so um so I know how I know how sacred and and special that that is. Yeah. Well good. I'm glad that they were blessed with your presence. There's <laughs> We we like we like where the sacred and the profane are quite quite close in touch. So mm-hmm. yeah. But tell me about the Women of Wealth Group and and what it is, the work that you do, and why women yeah. specifically, why wealth specifically, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, I mean, it and probably it's because it's an interest of mine. Um, and I guess like women specifically, I think it just comes back to like, it's an expression of my journey. Um, and I've just learned so much through my own process and my own awakening that whatever it is that I've learned or that I'm going through or have gone through or that it's not just for me. Um, and so whatever, I've been through or learned or understood can't just only be and live for me. I have a, a need to express it, to share it. Um, it's not a conscious need of mine because I'm like actually quite an introvert, but it, it just comes very naturally in the sense of that. I just feel like I need to share it. Um, and so women of wealth came about, for me, it really it really landed or it really bloomed um, toward the back half of last year, towards the back half of 2021, when I had this almost like this epiphany that like I've been working more or less in the financial industry since I was 18 years old and I'm 43, so a really long time. And, and yet I've especially like the last few years and I'm in private equity right now, none of, none of my friends knew what I did for a living. I mean, I'd been hosting women's circles um, once a month too. We would do them on the new moon um, before COVID. And then we kind of still did them with zoom. And then I would always have like solstice and equinox, like we, like the full thing, like very witchy, very, like very awesome. Um, and so a lot of people knew me in that way. And we wouldn't talk about work. We, we talk about life things, things that come up in circle um, and our spiritual growth. Um, and then at some point I just, I just said like a lot has been changed. A lot changed for me. A lot's been shifting um, for me. And it, I just had this realization last year is like, no one knows what I do because I don't want to tell them because I'm afraid that they're going to judge me essentially is what it comes down to um, because there's still, or it's still within me an inherent sense of shame that I do well financially. Um, Cause my foray into the kind of conscious community, if you will, was um, 
I needed it because that's how I found myself. But I also came up against a lot of people who were very judgmental, actually, very. Um, I didn't, and I didn't appreciate it. I almost found like, at least in like the, the, this other world, like let's call it like the real world. I don't know what you want to call it. The business world. Like at least people are very forward about what they want. And then I found a really weird, almost passive aggressive, but also very aggressive, like shaming, like very like religious, like about money Um, and a lot of lack and scarcity in that community. And I was like, man, like I can't tell them what I do or what I, I mean, like, it just doesn't like, they're going to be like, what, what are you doing here? You don't belong here essentially. So I never really talked about it. And then it's just a dawned on me last year. I'm like, I should be able to talk about this because that journey for me has been the most empowering journey. Um, and I've really decided the last few years to, to make, to put a focus on that. Um, and so I started to talk about it. I started to tell you know, those close friends that had been coming to circle for such a long time that had formed the nucleus of my community for years and they leaned in and they leaned in a lot. And then, and then I, and then it just, as you know, like when you have a, an internal shift, everything externally shifts. And then I just noticed from a lot more people, a lot more women, I would see maybe more in the media, just more out there about this, um, this, this like, the shift in the way we think about abundance and money. And, and I realized that so much of it was just my internal narratives that had painted it in one way. And in reality, that's not the objective reality of what it is. And so I decided to talk about it differently. Um, and then that led to this mastermind, Women of Wealth. It's a nonprofit now. Um, we're going to be doing a lot more financial like literacy and financial programs for schools and just like teaching that that wealth is actually it's not even about money um but if you don't use the tools and if you don't understand the system that you're in and work it from the inside you're always going to feel pretty disempowered yeah. is the truth and so that's where it kind of stems from and and it's it's a new endeavor i mean we've been going for like 3 you know 3 months and it's just it's just been the most amazing experience so far and if you had to like Let's say encapsulate the teachings, if you mm-hmm. wealth teachings. I mean, you gave a key piece there by saying that it's all about empowerment. And if you don't know how to use the system, and this is true for any system you're in, you'll feel right. disempowered in that system. Yeah. Yet yeah. In, in this specific case, you're talking about capitalist economics, late stage capitalism, yep. wealth markets, each on their yeah. own, having tremendous costs, having you know high credit lines, things like this. Like this mm-hmm. world that we're all tied up in. Yeah. Is there are there like five things that you could say that people have to really shift inside of themselves, and just knowing them won't make them shift them. So that's why yeah. I guess your program <laughs> yeah. process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the first one is that a lot of women don't think that they know what they're doing when it comes to like, let's say investing. Um, so that's the first thing is that it's not that hard and women are better at it than men. So that's the first thing, like, just, just like to remove this idea of like, I'm not good at math. I don't know what I'm doing. It's too complicated. It's not at all. You hundred percent know what you're doing. Just stop it because men don't know what they're doing ever. Most of the time. 
Um, and so that's the number one thing you're totally capable of it. And so like, once you overcome that, then, then the rest of it is, is, a, is just a function of like, what do you want? And how are you going to go accomplish it? Like just, so that's the very first thing. So you, you totally know what you're doing. You can do this. Um, so then the second thing from that becomes then if this is not that complicated and, and, and hard, um, then you have to go in and understand, like, do you have any blocks about it? Do you have some inherent shame? Um, there's so many narratives for women, right? Like, Oh, like the, the, I mean, it's historical, it's historical in the way that mm, women have been raised and treated to be like, not self-sufficient also. Um, And so like, there's also so many like, you know, even just like the movies, like, oh, the the woman, the money grubbing woman that that wants to marry like the wealthy man and all that. What a lot of people don't realize is like, is just that we've, that women have been historically conditioned um, to not be self-sufficient, but that's just not true anymore. So we just need to like, we just need to clear that, right? Like, it's just not true. If you're making money, a lot of women are bread makers, um, are like the key bread makers. So, but we don't think about it. So that's another thing, right? Which is, um, which is, it's okay to want money. Um, it's like totally okay to want it and to want a lot of it. Um, because the third thing is, is that having the, the, the financial wealth, let's say, um, can provide for a lot of people, um, and certainly true for me, a sense of stability and a sense, and what it can offer is freedom. Um, being attached to it as a thing is not freedom, but knowing that you have enough of it to give you the freedom and the time and the independence, that's wealth. So that's like a, that's like a really big shift. And then you move into tactical things, which the, of which the number one, thing is that we need to stop working for our money and make our money work for us, ergo investing. Um, and that's a big shift because women are always thinking, or, you know, we're like, I have to work so hard. I have to keep working. I'm going to work harder. I have to do more work. Not true. If you put your money to work for you, it makes money for you. And then you don't have to work that much if you don't want to, or you just, it just shifts your relationship to your, to time in, in essence. So that's a really, that's like a super huge, important one. And then the fifth thing would be that, um, having a community to speak to about it. So the group, the circle, the mastermind, um, that becomes a really important forum to share and to shift so much. Like it's a personal transformation. This work is actually a personal transformation, which is, you know, because you have it in your institute done in community um, is an accelerant and it's a beautiful container to do the work in. Mm. This is so funny because before I started Tifa in 2019, I was talking to a woman who was she was like a raw food coach. And then she pivoted and became a money coach because she realized that's where the money was, was teaching other yeah. people who wanted to make money, how to make money. And mm. I mean, she didn't come from your background. We'll just say that. So, so it's funny to have this happen. And um, I mean, there's a lot, I want to take a turn here that you yeah. might not be expecting. So I, I hope you're at that <laughs> okay. for all of that. But before we go there, um, I want to kind of highlight and draw out the number four of investment and the shift in the relationship, because um, 
as I'll get into, my original baseline in, in education is political economy. And in my undergrad, I was trained as a political economist and wow. kind of got to this whole other world, mostly because I rejected the system of modern capitalism. And mm-hmm. so, um, however, when we look at our methods of exchange, Werkner, as Karl Marx called it uh, in German, in, uh, antiquitous German, there's an ability to either be obviously the slave or the slave master, right? And those are quite um, not nice terms to say it, but you're yeah. either the one yeah. who has the capital or the one who works for something, yeah. whether for the slave, yeah. it's just to stay alive and to get maybe a meal. Um, yeah. And we can look at serfdom, we can look at a whole other kind of maturations of that until we get to the modern day wage employee and um, the divorce of time and money and the whole concept of passive income was something that we saw skyrocket with the use of the internet in the early 2000s and yet we are at this other turn with Robin Hood and the like where investment uh, for you know really the millennial generation but beyond becomes so much more accessible and easy Mm -hmm. and thus something that can be talked about whereas it wouldn't have been imagined unless you were a major holder of capital last century and so my question from that I guess is um, how do you go about advising people where and what to invest in Mm -hmm. so I don't um, I can't. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you were probably expecting it. I can't and I don't because I'm not a financial advisor. So, um, so however, um, I can talk about the things that I've found for myself and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm different. Like my primary, um, my primary investments are in real estate, Mm-hmm. because like, in all honesty, I am a terrible trader. I do not trade whether it's stocks or crypto. I'm just like, I understand it. I know how to read charts. I, I, I totally understand it. And then when I go to do it, just not good. Not my thing, not good at it. And so then I know people who are very good. I know people who are very good at it and that's like, fine. I'm, that's not me. Um, so I found that for the passive income piece, at least for me, that real estate asset investing period is like, and it's the thing that most people, like people that are using, like, let's say like Robin Hood and everything, because we're under like the spell of media that has told us the easiest way and the only way and the best way to invest is to go into the stock market and to buy index funds and ETFs. So the wealthiest people in the world do not do that. The wealthiest people in the world might have maybe 30% of their portfolio at most, at most in stocks, and they are concentrated in, in certain stocks. They don't use ETFs. They don't use financial advisors that do that kind of stuff. So it's been a way for, might sound conspiratorial, but for Wall Street to gather trillions of dollars from people. Um, it's also... Some people have been really successful day trading. I mean, like plenty of people, but multiples of that have lost a lot of money because it's an emotional thing. Like it's, investing is very psychological. It's very emotional. And that's the reason why most people um, eventually just don't do well unless they are just dollar cost averaging, let's say into an ETF or they're very good stock pickers because it's too much. It's too emotional. I mean, all the meme stocks of 2020, 2021, I mean, all those gains have been given back. Um, so I, 
I always tell people, and this is part of it, right? Like I can talk all day also about real estate, how great it is or anything. Um, but you have to do it. Like there's something embodied about investing that until you do it, it sometimes doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, I don't know. It's kind of like telling somebody how to garden, but you have to do it. You, you have to actually like get your hands in the dirt. You have to get, make the mistakes. You have to see what grows. You have to like, you know, tend to your own garden. And that's the same with investing. And I think ultimately for a lot of people, they don't have the time or don't think they do, or don't want to make the time because it's a big learning curve. Um, So if I could give any advice, it would be that you have to do some research and you have to figure out the things that make sense to you um, and that resonate with you and that resonate with your goals. Um, And you might not be good at, at everything. Um, and so I'll circle back to, to that whole thing about stocks and, and wealthy people, because um, most capital in, in very wealthy portfolios is in private equity, so private cash flowing businesses, um, and real estate, full stop. So, and not their primary residence either, not your house. Um, I don't think you should treat your house as an investment. Um, it's not cash flowing. It might go up in value and, you know, short memory will say, oh, but the last two years, house prices have been going up 20% year over year. Well, that's fine. That's not normal. Um, and we're not in a bubble in the US, but it's not normal and you shouldn't continue to expect it to happen. Um, so real estate as in like, like private real estate, um, which has become more and more accessible since the Jobs Act of 2012 in the US and crowdfunding made it more accessible. And I was part of the early cohort of entrepreneurs who launched real estate crowdfunding. Um, and it just, and it brought so much access to what, tr- like it literally only used to be like country club type of stuff. Like you, like private placement, like you, you didn't know that you could invest in, you know, the, the 60 unit apartment complex in your town, um, which is a great investment. But now that's like, that's more and more and more available to more people. And so that's been an incredible innovation in capitalism. Um, So, and there's just so, there's so much, then you can invest based on your values. You can invest in startups, you can invest in local businesses. Um, God, you could, there's so much that you can do now that doesn't have to be stocks. And if you take the approach that this is fun and this is interesting, um, and somebody told me um, the other day they they called it altruistic capitalism. Um, sure, this is you know this is true. It's possibly true. I mean, I honestly like you can do charity, um, but giving somebody a start to their business is kind of like the best charity that you could give because you're giving them a business, you're giving them the funding that they need. Um, So there's just like, then there's so much you can do now. Um, So I think it's just a matter of, of shaking off the very heavy veil of stocks, to be honest. (laughs) Like, I think that's what it is. Like, don't stop there. um, and, And don't freak out. And right now, a lot of people are freaking out because we're having a, we're in a bear market. We're having a very big correction, um, but it's also a very needed correction. Um, 
And so a lot of people haven't lived through that or don't want to live through it. And then, and then the media doesn't help because they just exacerbate the fear, um, you know, FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's their job to keep us disempowered through um, their headlines. Um, so I went on a bit of a tangent on that one, but because there's a lot to it. Yeah. Yeah, I hear it. I love it. I mean, um, yeah. The, and I'll say just because I, I've been, uh, you know, through um, years of bear and bull markets in the crypto markets that um, it's something that you come to expect and people are quite short term, especially if they're early in investing. And so um, that sense of and I love how, how, you know, crypto financial advisors, if they exist, their first piece of advice is don't invest more money than you're willing to lose overnight or able to lose yeah. overnight. And yeah. so that kind of detachment, let's say, from the fruit of our labor or the outcome is yeah. very spiritual in essence, that sense of being able to invest without you know, dire need or a sense of childhood trauma or betrayal or abandonment or failure yeah. it might be coming up. And so, um, whereas it might be easier to see in a more volatile market like cryptocurrency, it could also be applied to all of the things that you encouraged one to invest in, correct? Yeah. Well, I mean, also like right now, like crypto is like 100% correlated to the NASDAQ. So if... Because if you just like, just look at correlated to crypto, one might ask. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically a one, one correlation, right? It, it is like wild. So if, if, if the stock market was flying, crypto would still be flying. Like there's no, there's no difference. Like it is essentially crypto is like a tech stock. That is exactly, there's no decoupling yet. And if there will be, it'll be through Bitcoin, not, not through, not through all coins. So, I mean, Mm-hmm. that's like <laughs> we it's so everyone <laughs> uh it's just so much it's just so much because i just talked about how the media is always throwing all this fear on us and then and then in another breath they're they're like blasting these like oh this person became a multimillionaire overnight and especially with crypto and so then they set up these like really poor expectations that people are going to like wake up one day and be a billionaire. Um, and, and like the cult of the, of like the, the entrepreneur and the, you know, yeah, the, the crypto billionaires and the tech billionaires and all of this, and it just gives the wrong expectations. And so people aren't thinking when they invest, they're not investing, they're gambling, especially with crypto, because you can go up and down a hundred percent in a day. That's crazy. That's scary. Um, and I've seen really sad stories of people mortgaging their home because Bitcoin was supposed to go to 100 at the end of last year and it didn't. And, and that's the thing um, that's, I think we're just, we're our own worst enemy when it comes to this, when, when we want like the, the fast cash or, or, or what have you. And this is actually where like women excel because ten, tendentially we're less like that. Yeah. tendentially I'm maybe a little bit more like to have a very high risk tolerance. Okay. Um, but I also, you know, follow that very first principle, which is I'm never going to invest more than I'm okay to lose. Like I first bought Bitcoin in 2014, which at that time was the top. 
It wasn't a thousand dollars yet, but it was close. And then the thing proceeded to tank. And I was like, well, that was dumb. So good thing I only, you know, I only like put in not that much because I was like, I don't know, digital money, super weird, but kind of cool. So I'll do it. And I, and I held on to it. And so I've been through like these cycles with Bitcoin of, and um, sold some, kept some, but it, you know, you just have to have a really long-term time horizon um, with it. And, and I think it's really important to be very aware of what our own goals are and what is most conducive to achieving those goals. Um, and some people like, I mean, I've, like, like everybody the past couple of years lost a lot of money in crypto, um, which is fine. It's like, okay, well, it wasn't that much relative. Um, it wasn't that important. And I'd learned a lot. So it's an education. I mean, you, you can't go into investing expecting to never lose money. Yeah. You just can't. Mm -hmm. Cause then, then the, the wound of that psychologically, emotionally, like the wound of that, of like, it has to be perfect and I can never lose money. That's a lot to bear. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love how, uh, how forthright you are and honest. Um, I mean, there's, there's so much to talk about here. Like, um, let, we just, I know exactly. Direction to go into. Um, I, I actually, I just made my first, uh, uh, the very beginning of the year, my first real capital investment in a startup. And um, I'm totally excited and at peace with it and really want to kind of get over into that side of the game more um, mm -hmm. because I feel that somehow the agility of tech startups does disrupt the old school capitalist system and where I've been outside of it for more than a decade, you know, in 2008, when I was like, oh, my God, this is out of the global nation state capital paradigm is so out of integrity with yeah. who I am as a human and what I know to be equitable mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I went off literally into the jungle and lived in tree houses and, you know, somehow ended up in this health career simply because it was what I was doing for myself and I was really good at sharing it. And over time, um, more than anything, that was a career in transformation, no matter what mm -hmm. I'm teaching yoga, if I'm teaching about poop or if I'm teaching about fasting or if I'm teaching, you know, it doesn't apply to epigenetics. It doesn't matter. It's transformation. And I do feel like in our TIFA curriculum, for example, we have a very intentional um, runway of, of the way and the order in which people learn things and when they come to deeper levels of understanding within themselves. And what is at the end of our curriculum are sex and tantra, right? So, mm. so coming to the most intimate vulnerability, coming to once you open right that vulnerability and you open yourself to another force, whether it's an economic force or another human being, Mm. how you run your energy right which is tantra and so i do feel that like even money and relationship to money would come at the tail end of that because it's it's all let's say a result of this deeper work and mm. obviously you started with describing um the women of wealth and and the work that you do in circle and in transformation and you know we can be very cliche and esoteric and a bit Los Angeles, if I may, <laughs> about 
uh, money is energy and like, you know, all these Ponzi schemes of sister circles and bullshit like that. But um, like, what is the more grounded non-esoteric philosophy that you would offer to people mm-hmm. with transformation and those who really want to transform their relationship with money? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, <clears throat> that whole money is energy never resonated for me. It, I, Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, everything, everything is energy. So, you know, it's like, like everything is, everything is energy anyway. I mean, I think one of the best, like, I'll just say this and then, and then I'll answer your question. But if you really look at uh, money is energy, then you would want to look at Bitcoin because it's the only thing that transforms actual energy into, into money. And it actually speaks to the currency of the world is not money. It's energy physically. Um, ergo commodities. Um, but if you take that conceptually and you back it into, and then you just like back out of that conceptually, like you change, like money changes conceptually because our concept of money is only like very recent in human history anyway. So once you start to deconstruct what money is, it changes your relationship to it, which is why I really, I always try to have an approach of rational approach. And then I guess I'm not sure. It's not really a spiritual approach. It's more of just like a bigger understanding, a consciousness understanding of what things are, but the rational is important. So looking at the history of things is important. Um, And I would say like one of the most important things that I think anybody could do today is go learn about the petrodollar especially if you're American, well, actually any, anywhere in the world, um, is go learn about what the petrodollar is um, because that whole system of money is actually coming apart right now. It's a, it's a, it's a controlled demolition is what's currently happening. Um, most people won't notice it other than in inflation and money erosion, et cetera, but it's happening. And then, and you travel a lot, so you experience this a lot, but like- I'm on the American Peninsula we, right now. Yeah. I mean, we have no idea what percentage of the world and it's big lives in authoritarian financial regimes. They have like no control over their own lives because they have no control over their money. And this becomes extremely important to reframing what money is because no, it's not energy. It's a system. So you have to understand that system and it's a game and you're either playing it or you're being played period. And once you figure that out, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I get real riled up. Keep going. <laughs> it, like I, I actually just, I refuse to be someone's exit liquidity and I refuse to be played because if men can play this game, you better believe women can play this game. And there's no reason that we can't play this game. We're playing it. We just don't know we're playing it. And so for me, when I'm in with my women and, and yes, it's about empowerment, but this is like, and now I'm sitting up really straight. Cause it's like all in my third chakra. And I'm just like, if I could be like on a pedestal, like just like screaming right now, like that would be me because it's like, we have it all wrong. We have it all wrong mm-hmm. because we don't believe in ourselves. That's all. And so the principle in women of wealth is that, we 
like you've got this, like we've got this and together we will disrupt all that little programming that says that we can't, or that we don't know, or that like, we just went through this, this exercise of um, evaluating a private equity investment. And some people invested and some didn't, and that's fine. Everybody learned so much mm. about their own capabilities, about what they thought they knew or that they thought they didn't know about risk tolerance, about how to evaluate, which really is just asking questions to try to get answers. That's all it is. You just have to get you know answers. Um, and what it did is it gave confidence. Like if there's one word that encapsulates this all, it's confidence. Yeah. And that's what I just really want everyone to feel um, because there's no, there's no world in which we're perfect. Um, but we certainly need to feel like we're um, resourced, I guess, with what we need to, to just move on, like just to, just to move on, stop playing small. Um, that's what this is about. Mm, I love it. There's so many threads that I want to pick up here. I don't really know. I don't know which one to pick up. Um, I think one that feels really important that I don't want to forget, I'm more willing to sacrifice the others, are um, the thread of trading time for money. So, um, mm. you know, your your quintessential coach, right? Or your yoga teacher or your gym trainer or your, I mean, any kind of employee, but this in the millennial entrepreneurial, you yeah. know, facade where people are like, ah, I don't want a boss. I want to be my own boss. Let me sell my time to people. And then let me really slave away at all hours of the day. Um, and it never is worth it. And you're stuck in this constant poverty cycle, even though, right. You've broken free from the man. And Mm -hmm. that in itself is a huge fallacy. And it really breaks my heart, especially in the realm of yoga teachers, which, you know, I was in that world once, um, that, you know, I kind of almost always told my yoga teacher graduates that I trained, don't go and teach yoga for money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. First of all, it devalues actual spiritual teaching that yoga was never intended to be taught for money. That if it's actual yoga that's being taught, that there can be no financial transaction or exchange that would ever equate to that. So don't even go there. Mm -hmm. It tarnishes what's really Mm -hmm. happening right? You want to bring me an apple, you want to bring me whatever, like, yeah, great. Because some kind of exchange that's not right, directly correlated to the state, perhaps. Secondarily, mm-hmm. um, it, it dwindles the person's passion for what they're doing, because it becomes work mm-hmm. and it becomes a job and thus becomes a survival mechanism. And if you yeah. bring your joy, you know, and people are all like, oh, do what you love for work and love and get paid to do what you love. And it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah. So many people are getting lost there and it's really harrowing. Um, And I I just, I can't discourage it more. I'm like, dude, keep your day job and then fucking love teaching yoga on the weekends. And if it makes you an extra $500 a month or whatever that you can go and buy a new phone with, great, whatever. Or if you invested in something, you know, it's it's that kind Mm -hmm. of thing that I really want to encourage people. And um, the last thing that I'll say on this is that, how I've lived my life and we can go there. I don't know if we have time to go there, but we can go there. You can use me as a subject because I'd be in a horrible subject. You would hate how I relate to money likely, but um, I've lived my life in a way of resilience that ultimately my bank account is in my social capital and in my mm-hmm. ability to make money. 
not the money you yeah. have, but rather the ability to make money, that quality of resilience, which I also try to build in all of the TIFA students and arguably is what they graduate with, that mm-hmm. that is the biggest money maker that there could be. And so that investment yeah. self through doing the self growth will pay off in however they employ yeah. or apply themselves in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to the trading time for money and like the coaching and, um, this, the, again, this is like a media thing, like follow your passion and the, the money, the money will follow. Well, maybe, but also maybe not. Didn't, it didn't for me when I thought I wanted to be a coach, I, it d- did not work. And I realized that. And I had to like, kind of admit like, this is not, this is not for me. It's not what I want. The other thing I think you mentioned time poverty because yeah, go be an entrepreneur and let's say like be a coach and, and like, I'll call it digital slavery, social media. You have to constantly, (laughs) like if we would talk about like serfdom, like who who are you working for? You have to constantly make video. Now it's videos, like content, like nonstop. Like you, you're, you're not ever stopping to work in a way. And then you're, you're so beholden to people's opinions because followers and then algorithms, which frankly, if you're not paying you're not going to be seen um, no matter like how big of a following you have. Like my sister's a very well-known artist. And um, if she doesn't pay for her posts, they don't get seen. She has over like 300,000 on Instagram, like all organic, all of it. But, you know, they just, it's, it's almost like blackmail. Like if you don't pay us, like your posts aren't going to show up. And so again, mafias, Texas it is mafia. Let's it is that right here. I love it. <laughs> Social media mafia. No, it is. And, and, and so, and so, yeah. So for like, so women of wealth, it's, it's not my day job. I mean, we, we charge people because there's a lot of things that go on and I don't even need to justify it, but it's not how I make money. And so I, I bring myself to that table in such a different way. And I don't, somebody asked me the other day, why don't you have an Instagram for it? Or, and I don't even use my own right now. Cause I don't want to, because I don't need to, cause I would rather connect with people in a different manner and like the old school way of referral and recommendation, which frankly is how our, my private equity firm runs as well. You don't have to fall prey to, you don't have to do all of this this extra work um, because it, it strips the joy, which is, I think what you were getting at, like it strips the joy um, it, or you just really love to, like you love to make online courses, but you also know how to market those and you know how to pay for those and you know how to do all, like it's work. And I think the biggest thing that, that gets people is they don't think it's going to be work. Yeah. And that's the problem is they think, well, I don't, I want to work for myself, but they don't actually want to work um, because you're still, you're still promoting something inside of a system that requires money and promotion to do it. So you can't get away from it. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. So our advice for anyone listening is don't quit your day job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Use the savings from your day job and go ahead and get some investments running so that you can have yeah. more freedom financially exactly. and by your time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a multitude of, of things too. Like, and I would, you know, encourage people also, and this is the hardest thing in the world. And 
it's that if you use your budgets right and you don't have to like instill austerity measures, but there's a lot of places where we overspend to compensate different emotional, psychological things. Like I'm an overeater. I'm an emotional eater. Drives me crazy that I am, but I am. Join the initiation. We'll, we'll work on that through fasting. <laughs> I mean, it's like this whole, I mean, like my relationship to like food and my body and everything is like, is still like, it's still a process as I'm, as I'm, as I'm sure, you know, but we all like go into denial in different ways. And like, well, there's like, what is it called? Like retail therapy. And like, that's, that's like a true thing. And so where I find that most people don't want to go is in not spending money needlessly, but that's actually where the gold is. And it's the easiest thing to do to start to reclaim some money. And whether you put that into your passion project or investments or what have you, um, kind of like counting calories. Like it's kind of like, you just got You just got to do the thing that's really uncomfortable at first. And then after a while, it's very strengthening because you're, you feel more in control. And I think 90% of this exercise is about feeling in control. It's not about money. Yeah. Mm. It's really interesting. Cause it, so as one of the longest living or one of the most experienced, uh, long-term fasting experts living alive today. Um, and I'm on, I think day 20 of a fast right now, like wow. there's, that kind of abstinence is very familiar um to me and mm-hmm. for me and um that is also how I've played money in, in exactly that austerity that you describe I mean I grew up and this is just my my short background and I would love all your commentary on it um <laughs> before we close but I grew up in a very frugal household household um, you know, ethnically Jewish, that sense of being cheap is something that's passed down from a merchant culture that was constantly a migrant. You know, there's history to it. It's not just like Larry David's cheap or Jerry Sign. It's like, no, like there, there's history that came with that ethnography. And so um, being raised very much in that kind of household and also having a father who worked more or less as a consultant um, in sales where, you know, my mother tells me we didn't know if he was going to have a paycheck coming in. And so I always had that, you know, subconsciously deeply implanted into my mind. And, um, and then going on the road and I was a backpacker for eight years. And Mm -hmm. anyone who's listening to this, he's been a backpacker traveling the world knows that the least money you spend, the less you spend, the longer you can stay on the road and anyone traveling, all they want to do is stay on the road. And then I lived in Indonesia, you know, where it costs nothing to live. And so like this, I just haven't adulted my relationship with money. And I'm really only over the past few years, maybe getting there. Um, Mm -hmm. And because of my strong integrity and what I said before about like, if you're actually teaching the real stuff, you can't charge for it. And because of the transformational process and nature of it, I haven't taken a cent from Tifa and I have bled. I've gotten very time poor <laughs> over mm. the past two and a half years. I bled myself dry like a mother would to a child, given everything I had and not taken anything for it because I can then say to the students, hey, I'm not here because I need to be. I'm not mm. here because I'm being paid to be. I'm here because humanity needs this. And that's what the Institute is about. And so it, I find that the decoupling of the finance around it um, 
kind of decomplexifies this ability to project and and you know point out things when it's like no actually this is an act of seva this is service and then on the personal side it's like whoa i've just gotten very time poor and in many ways undervalued myself hugely over the past few years yeah. but there's like a reconciling that has to happen there as simultaneously i start my first venture capital raise for a new company so it's like you know <laughs> if you were to take one of your women's stories and consolidate it into mine or if that's helpful to anyone to reflect upon their own coming to be because it's always the becoming that indicates mm -hmm. who and how we are and it's not just like let me see how i treat money today it's like no where did that come from yeah yeah i mean the the process that you just described i think is everything um it's the awareness of the complexity and the patterns and your relationship to all those things, service and, um, and money and exchange and an expression of beliefs that you have, not right or wrong. I mean, that uh, no one's place to judge. Yeah. And you work through those because I think the other thing is like our beliefs can change. And I think a lot will, I, I, I think a lot will change for you as you start to go into, I mean, venture capital is like, is you know, it's, it's like out there in terms of like, you know, your first, your first foray, like going into venture. Although I think it's also very aligned um, because it's not, it's not as um, you know, it's, it is part of the system, but it's not like the stock market. Like it, it it's where things can flourish. Um, and so, you know, all of that to say that all of us are still working through, I still work through all kinds of limitations and, and beliefs. And like, there's moments where I catch myself where I think like, and I have to remind myself, why am I doing this? Like, what is, what is my, like, what is my end goal with it? And as long as I have a really strong anchor into my why, then I can also remind myself because I can have a tendency to um, like not want to spend because I, you know, I have my goals and there there's like a purpose for, for what I'm doing. Um, and that purpose is what anchors me in moments when, everything seems to be like off course um, or I'm off course where I've gone like way too far off the deep end um, with, um, with my own like austerity measures. And I have to like reel it back in and I have to remind myself, we have to live a little. Um, and so, and so having that, that, that purpose, that sense of purpose is, I think it's like really important. And so if for you, Tifa is your service, and then uh, you you can do other things that resonate more with the income or like the money side. So be it. That's fine. That you know, I think the the, the important thing that I would I guess watch out for would be um, that the service doesn't like you said like doesn't take away from your value. Like I think that's the, like that's also like a like a very female thing to undervalue ourselves. Um, and, and that's like a big piece of, of all of this. And our system in the Western world, especially values based on money, but you lived in Indonesia, like it, money isn't the thing there. Like it's, it's different. And so it's like reframing all of that. Um, but as you go into, as you go into venture, it'll open your, you know, it'll open your eyes to what money can do and help you accomplish. Um, so it, so it could, you know, I don't know. I just think like you have a lot of self-awareness and you, you kind of can't go wrong because 
you'll realize one day, you'll realize one day you'll say, oh, that's not working for me anymore. Just like everything. We're like, oh, that I'm complete with that one. Thank you. You know, I let you go. Thank you for protecting me for whatever your role was with me, like that belief or, or, you know, what have you. And just like, you know, thank you for that. Um, I'm complete. And now I'm going to move on to like the next thing, you know, it's all, it's all part of the process. But I think the number one thing is that like, whether it's money or food or whatever, it's not, that's not the, that's not the end. It's a representation of something else. It's just a representation and what value we ascribe to it tells us a lot about ourselves. And the only thing we can do is use that to understand ourselves better so that we can get out of our own way. Beautiful. I mean, that's, that's also kind of the, the parting words that I wanted to share. It's the same thing that you just said, just in different words of decoupling the emotion from it. Right. So, mm-hmm. so if like either of us are either in a point of austerity where it's like, I don't actually want to spend that money, then it's like, okay, well, what is it that I'm actually doing? Is this experience priceless? Or is it this, this sense of like, of course I would pay anything for that. Like that can yeah. reorient to the why, as you said, And then also when we do have that energy, looking at what's behind it, just in the same way as fasting, another form of austerity, right? Mm -hmm. When people are hungry and fasting, it's never actual hunger in the body. That doesn't happen until 40 or 50 days into a water fast. So the people that I fast for one week on juice, you know, they'll come along and on day four, it's like, no, actually, what are you hungry for? What are you actually hungry for? And so that Mm. sense of, Maybe in this case, it could be, what are you actually undervaluing or what are you actually trying to save or what is the fear? Like, you know, there could be a million Mm. questions and um, yeah, I find that that reorientation is endlessly helpful. Mm. Mm. Hmm. I'm going to be thinking about this a lot, the fasting and the, what am I hungry for? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, come join the initiation. You're welcome. Any month you can be our guest. (laughs) We'd love to have Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's like, there's a, there's like a whole process for, for me that, um, that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Cause there's, you know, I'm always like, what is it that I'm thinking that I'm believing about any, you know, like any given thing that is actually holding me back. Um, um, but if we're honest, food and money are like, these are the hearts. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then how you feel about yourself with both. Yeah. Like there's, there, there's like, there's things like, there's things like about it um, that at least for me, it's like, it leads to, well, like I said, like, there's like a confidence to it. Like when I've been able to like be like on point, well, I'll call it on point with my body. um, And then I feel really good about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, although there's always historically for me, there's always been like a, a, a simultaneous like terror yeah. of losing that um, that place that I've gotten to, like the call it perfection. I don't know what's a different word. Like, oh, this is like really good. I don't want to lose this. Like trying to, to like make that static and it makes it like never go away. So I've never really been able to enjoy it because of this terror that I would lose it. And I think that happens a lot with money that we might get to a place where we have it and then terrified that we're going to lose it. And in reality, the more we do have 
especially when you get to certain levels, it becomes really complex. Your tax situation becomes complex. Um, more gets taken away through tax. Like you have the ability to lose more because you have more to invest or what like. And so then it, it it's the relationship, the nature changes. And so I think for both, it probably comes down to what we said, maybe sometime in the beginning of this was non-attachment because especially with money, like it, it comes and it goes. I mean, and like you said, the resilience of it's not the money I have, but it's my ability to, make money. to survive. I guess not even survival anymore. It's just like, you know, sometimes I think like worst, worst, worst case, I'm a damn good house cleaner. <laughs> yeah. Like if, like, if I had like, like worst case, right. I'm like, I would totally be able to survive. Like if I'm, you know, if that happened, like, I just don't. And you, you know, have unless the my health to brand it in a way where you would make yeah, it, and then you'd hire people under you. Like that's, it's, yeah, that would be me because yeah, if you put me alone in a forest to do like you know what what like like a vision quest, I would probably rearrange everything in the forest because I just can't sit there and sit still. Like I have to like organize things. Like I'd have the sticks all in a neat little pile, and I would, you know, it's just. I have to trust my nature. I have to, like, I, there's a level of trust implicit in all of it and cycles and flow um, and self and levity that we have to bring into it. Like, this is not that serious of an endeavor. Um, it can't possibly be. There's, I can't see the purpose in it being so serious. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the mirror is the, everything is one in life, right? And it's all the same journey, whether, where, whichever path we take. And so like mm -hmm. when I'm bringing people into fasting, I always tell them there will be times when you feel larger than life, amazing. And there will be shit times, right? And so mm -hmm. on that roller coaster, that is this experience of life or of the fast, the invitation is actually to find the steady middle ground where it doesn't matter if you're up or if you're down because you're breathing mm -hmm. and you're alive mm -hmm. and you're here in your body. And uh, at TIFA, our teachings are very much that health is not static. Health has never been static. Health is balanced mm -hmm. and balance is also not static. It's constant recalibration. And yeah. so unless you're in that portal of awareness where it's like, what is this? What is this actually about? What am I doing? What do I want? What is my why? What brings me joy? What is the ultimate um, gain? Or what am I learning from this experience? Or whatever the question might be. And each one of those could be a journal prompt about food or money, right? From mm -hmm. that, then we awaken a sense of accomplishment or achievement or having gotten somewhere. It's never having the top, whether it's the perfect body, as I guess you were alluding to, or, you know, the perfect bank account balance. And I have... Yeah you know, a majority, I'd say even are my friends are millionaires or billionaires. And from that place, there is this mindset of the flow, right? Which is very different mm -hmm. than how I authored my life as the miser. If you know the mm -hmm. Osho deck, the one who's holding it, holding it all in for that day. And it's like that sense yep. of saving the chipmunks with the nuts. Yep. Like, <laughs> are we living yeah. for winter? Are we living life right now? And that doesn't mean go and spend it all, but it means allow that to move because when it moves, everything in your life moves. And this is chi, this is prana, this is circulation. Mm -hmm. Health is when things circulate. And I do think that that's one of the helpful esoteric teachings if you can embody it at a really deep understood way um but the fear to not have is so strong we're not that far out of the great depression right 
pretty much mm-hmm. everyone alive yep. today is either grandparents or great grandparents were in it. And that socialization is passed down. So it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and then there's like the bipolar of it is this like extreme wealth inequality, which exacerbates the trauma of the great depression. Um, because somewhere in our psyches and because we're all, we are all connected. I know it's super cliche, but we feel it we, yeah. and you can't get away from it. Look at the, like we're online all the time. Like it's not just like, Oh, we're connected energetically. No, you have access. Like we have to, we have to process an, a, a ridiculous amount of information and news and things that there's no reason why we should know this, but we do. And so like that affects us, whether we know it or not. And so, um, and so it's hard because you, you have this, and I think, and this is this whole fear cycle that is constantly keeping us in a, in a place of disempowerment, um, through media. And so, and so, I mean, if we're going to fast on anything other than food, I would say also fast on media um, because it's, it's not conducive. Like it's not conducive. Like we have to be super selective. Um, And so what I put in my, what I put in my body or what I put in my mind or what I put in like in front of me that I'm like reading or listening to, or, I mean, it's intentional and it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. Um, And then if something doesn't go well or what have you, like, I can only like look at that as a lesson or like, what can I learn from it? And, um, if there's, it's not really about blame, but I can take responsibility for things, um, as well. And I think that's a really, like, that's a really important piece of it too, is, is like, you know, I know, (laughs) I know when I'm emotionally eating and I'm like, okay, that's happening. Um, and like, and I know when I'm, you know, I know this about myself. And so the best that I can do is like, just like bring it, like bring it back to, um, to that awareness and where I want to get to and, and the improvements that I want to, the improvements that I want to make. And this idea of flow, just to touch on it real quick before we, um, before we close out is that there's also this flow of receiving and letting it be okay to receive and to be abundant. Um, and wealth to me, not money, but like, like, let's say financial wealth, it's generative. And this is pure math. The more you have of it, the more it grows. And it just, it is like, like you said, like a lot of people in your network, a lot of people in my network are far wealthier than me, like not even close. And, and, and if they put a million or $10 million into investment and I put 10,000, well, the difference in, <laughs> in money is exponential. Okay. And so that's, that's why like my, my whole thing is like, if you can start to build a little bit and it makes money upon itself, it's just math. And that math grows and grows and grows and grows. And then what becomes really fun is that when you have a certain amount of it and you feel like you've covered the safety needs and, and like your, you know, your spending needs or whatever, whatever you want. Um, then with like, let's call it excess or however you want to frame it out. You can start to put it into places that make you feel also like really good. You can tithe, you can, um, you can invest, you can, you can put it out into the world. And I found through my experience that the more like, whereas I used to for a long time, have that miser, also that archetype very much about self-protection. And like, I have to have this money and like my mom grew up poor and like, like, (laughs) I know like that's my trauma too, that I'm clearing for the lineage. And then, 
And then as I go through and I'm putting like when I have money, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to invest this. I'm going to do something with it. It feels so good to put it out into the world and to let it cycle and circulate and grow and become a generative thing. Not for me, because I'm good. I have everything I need. It's not about that. And I don't live in excess at all, quite the opposite. So it's not that I'm like wanting all this money to have all these things. No, it now it's turned into well, what more can I do with it? Or who else can I support with it? And how can I like put it out there? And like, and, and it's completely changed the energetic for me um, of what, what money is and what, what it represents. And that's a, that's a big embodied internal change. I was listening to that for you. If you learned from or moved by the episode, pay it forward, go to Apple now and leave a five-star review so others can benefit. Join the Institute for Aliveness for a one-week transformational fasting experience. Consider getting an astrology reading from Andy or enroll in the one-year health coach certification course. Whatever you do, don't let this learning pass you by. Do something now to impact your lifestyle for good.